Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Tuesday, the 22nd of August, like that this month is going. But next thing, before you know it, you're going to have your trick-or-treat costumes on. You're going to be Halloweening out there. It's going to be crazy. Uh, market call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. That's Dan Nathan. I'm Guy Adami. Do not fret, because in a few minutes, I don't even know what fret means. Uh, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us. Today's market call is brought to you, Dan, by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, facts set financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Tomorrow, by the way, is going to be... <laughs> That's a bring your popcorn day, but we'll get into that in a little while. How are you, Dan? I'm doing I'm doing okay here, guy. You know, it's interesting. You've been saying this now for an awful long time, uh, really, I guess, since uh, March, um, that you, you didn't think that what happened in the regional banking crisis was kind of going to be an isolated event, right? And, and I think we were all kind of suggesting that there's a, a whole handful of knock-on effects that, that could happen, right? Whether it's some sort of credit event, whether it's, um, and everyone's focused on commercial real estate at the time. But there was also a lot of banks, much bigger banks, that had these sort of held to maturity, right, mm -hmm. securities. Um, they have this mismatch between the deposits fleeing, going to higher yielding sorts of accounts, right? And they have to match up, right, those that, that, that capital flight, that deposit flight. But the problem is with rates going as high as they've gone in mm -hmm. such a short period of time, the bonds, right, have lost a lot of value. Right. So all of a sudden now we've had a couple actions, whether it was Moody's and a little Fitch action. Now we have S&P Global in on the action here and downloading, uh, down, downgrading a bunch of banks here. And all of a sudden, guy, if you look at the major U.S. money center banks, other than J.P. Morgan and Wells, which is maybe up a percent on the year or something, they're all down on the year. And one of the things we just had our fast money call, we we're talking about what we're going to talk about at five o'clock. I think it's interesting that we ushered in this Q2 earnings season with bank stocks reporting. Almost all of them rallied. Now, expectations were very low, right? And if you think about the outperformance we've seen in other parts of the market heading into mid to late July, you know, okay, you say to yourself, all right, let's run up the banks. They're cheap, this and that, whatever. Well, now, if you look at them, guys, they're all kind of round tripping those moves from earnings. It's extraordinarily important to point that out, the fact that, you know, a lot of these banks did run up, and I understand why they did. And they searched for valuation, by the way, and simultaneously as some of these tech names were selling off, people found value in the banks, understandably so. But I think the market's come to the realization that despite 
uh, attractive valuation, there's probably a reason why these banks have underperformed. And the ills that have sort of challenged these banks for quite some time, if anything, they're getting worse. And you're talking about duration risk. And, you know, I've said it since March, April, incorrectly, by the way, but it doesn't mean it won't happen, that there's an inevitability to another sort of shoe to fall in the small and regional bank sector. And maybe it's not a small and regional bank. Maybe it's something else, but it's definitely out there. You drew this pennant, as Carter would say, the lines draw themselves. You know, that downtrend clearly intact. But we're right up against a pretty important uptrend, I would submit, since the spring. Not, again, not unironically, and not, you know, that, that was the lows made during Silicon Valley Bank. Um, so I don't think that's a coincidence. And here we are. I think it's just, again, an inevitability that something happens. And the fact that we're broaching the moving average, the moving averages have never turned higher. I mean, all this to me points to another leg lower. Now, what it means for the broader market, that's to be determined. I think I know. But don't fool yourself. Just because these banks are seemingly reasonable on valuation doesn't mean they can't continue to go lower from here. Yeah. And just real quickly, if you just want to throw up that slide with the S&P downgrade, I mean, you know, there's like more than a half a trillion dollars of, of mark to market losses. OK, what does that mean? They have not they've been not realized yet. Right. But if a company like a bank, which holds deposits and they have to match those deposits with liabilities and they yep. have big losses. I mean, that's why those regional banks that we lost in March uh, in, in April went under. Right. And so if we just want to throw up a Schwab chart here this is one of those you know uh, it's obviously the largest brokerage firm uh, on the planet here i mean look at the gap that that stock guy that gapped above its 150 day moving average right after its earnings this mm -hmm. is you know, going back you know five or six weeks or so and look at it round tripping the whole sort of thing here and if we just let's go to yields for a second here because this is the story and you've been calling for higher yields if you look at the 10-year it just you know closed yesterday at 435 right this is kind of a, a cycle high here and and again cardo give us his two cents on this I, I don't you know you and i are in different camps on this i don't think it's going meaningfully higher here but if it just stays higher here those mark to market losses on a lot of those banks they they got a lot of issues because those those deposits have an attractive place to be earning four or five percent near term so to me that's kind of the issue and then obviously friday we got fed chair pal speaking i think it's interesting guy that a lot of folks that we're talking to listening to are saying that they don't expect much out of jerome powell's mouth or so if you look at the cme fed uh fed tracker tool the next meeting is for the fed is, is september 20th and it's pricing about a 15 percent probability that we have a 25 basis point hike here so there's not high expectations for further hikes but rates keep going higher jerome powell what is he going to say what's he most concerned about here guy Clearly, the bond market is calling BS right now on a lot of different things. And I understand, again, sort of I'll go down the list of things you mentioned. I understand why you would feel rates are sort of capped out here. And a lot of it, my sense has to do with historical norms, reversion to the mean. A lot of it also has to do with an economy that's probably slowing down. So it stands to reason rates should move lower. I totally get that. The flip side of the coin and the coin that I find myself on is rates are going higher because the market is demanding a higher yield to buy debt. And that's problematic because for the first time in a long time, the market, again, to term, use the phrase, is calling BS on a number of different things. And you're not just seeing it with U.S. Treasuries. You're seeing it across the globe. And, you know, not making, I don't want to get too wonky here, but with what's going on in Japan, the largest owners of our treasuries on the planet, that situation con continues to sort of manifest itself. And, 
regardless of what you think the importance or not of Japan is, that will have an impact on our bond market. So if rates continue to go higher from here, again, that's my side of the ledger. I think that's really bad for equities. If rates were to go lower from here, again, my opinion, it would be because the market sold off in a meaningful way and there would be a flight to quality in the form of treasuries, which makes yields go lower. Either case, and people are going to say you're being dogmatic, but either case, it's not good for equities. All right. Interestingly, before we kind of, you know, the VIX, we have this thing. It's moving up a little bit. But the move index, which we haven't talked about in a little mm -hmm. bit. Okay. So this is the uh, Bank of America. This is the volatility index on um, on the bond market here. Look at that thing, guy. Above, it's, you know, 200 yeah. or 150. And it's kind of picking itself up a little bit. So you use that expression, you know, the bond market calling BS. Let's bring in Carter Braxton. We're of we're charting to see how much BS he just heard out of you and me, if he wants to call it that way. Hey, Carter. Listen, I'm Hello, looking guys. at that. Right. So, Carter, why are you wearing a Build a Bong shirt? I mean, is that a, you you advertising for somebody? I, you I know, mean, it's I funny. I, were to... I, I did actually did cross my mind. I said, you know, you got a logo on your chest here. We're not in the logo business, but uh, it, it should be a risk reversal logo. You guys just yeah. didn't send me the shirt. So I'm left with uh, choice number buy. two here. No, I, uh, I have a I have a great uh, risk reversal um, Yeti uh, yeah, water when I visited the studio. So yeah, I, I have. Yeah, well, I hopefully, do. Carter. Yeah. Hopefully, we're going to get you back. I know you're going to have to shave and put a collared shirt. I don't know if I've yep. ever seen guy. Have you ever seen Carter without a collar on his on his neck here? I, no, I I've ever but seen. I have. You know, I have not been to the beach or so. This is Beach Carter. This is vacation. Well, so, yeah, this so is last you know. last hurrah. Right, a few more days before it all has to get serious. Back to school, as they say. All right. right? Talk to us, Carter. What 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 do we, you know, we spent some time last week looking at yields. Um, we had that close, right? It finally did close. And again, you've you've educated us and our listeners and our viewers uh over many years that one breakout point does not make a breakout, right? Like so sure. it needs to be established here. But some of the things that we're just that we're talking about as it relates to some of these bank stocks, I mean, they are getting a little freaked out here. And I think some of the regulators or the, the credit agencies are getting a little freaked freaked out here about the precipitous rise in rates, despite the fact that the CME Fed tracker is saying, hey, listen, man, there's a 15% chance that rates are going higher again by a quarter basis point in September. What Just put, you know, wrap this thing up for us. What, what, what are you thinking sure. here? I mean, you well, a couple of things. When I was listening to you, one thing to talk about is, you know, the, the disparity or divergence here or uh, change in, in fortune, if you will, with what has always been a very sort of struggling area, that means European banks, the SX70 bank index, stock 600 banks uh, versus U.S. banks. And uh, it was always thought, of course, that U.S. banks had taken their medicine, you know, nine and had done the things that needed to be done, whereas these sort of big zombie European banks, Deutsche Bank being the poster child, um, were never able to quite get themselves back on their feet. And then in turn, if you look at the Topex bank index, and these are equally large banks in Japan, that, of course, the one that's doing quite well. Um, the, the message here is that we have, and you can see on the charts, a perfect instance of something in a downtrend that then rallied sharply, and the rally failed to the penny, both the KRE and the BKX, at the declining 150 moving average. We've been going down ever since. So really bad, really sharp ricochet, and then bad yet again, and uh, the indications are more downside. 
Yeah. All right. Let's let's extrapolate this a little bit to the S&P 500. You've done some work over there at Worth Charting this morning. I saw the note. It's one of my first reads every day. People, check it out, WorthCharting.com. Um, talk to us what you're seeing in the S&P 500 here, because we were talking about that breakout level, that 4350. It got back there. It found a little bit of support, right? It bounced here. What do you what are you thinking in the S&P 500 here? Because Guy and I spent some time talking about it yesterday. I mean, we are those last few beats days a lot of people want things to be calm but there's there's a whole host of things this week alone that could move the broad market sure so the the market is now uh, of course has seen its first uh, in about four or five months its first five percent plus sell-off and if you look at the history of the s p going back to 1920s there are about 240 of these things these things being sell-offs that are five percent or greater um, it could end up being six or nine or 40. Uh, each one counts. But once you cross over five, whether it's because risk managers step in or people actually have stop losses entered at five, um, typically you go down more. And, and typically what I mean by that is if you look at the median decline of all 5% plus um, sell-offs or corrections in the S&P, it's eight to 9%, whereas the average is about uh, 13, 14. So Duration about 20 to 30 sessions. This is 16 sessions old. Uh, it's down 6%. I think by all indications, uh, there's more to come. And what keeps it going is when you get rallies like yesterday, right? That means the appetite's still there. I mean, Tesla jumping 7% and NVIDIA mm -hmm. 8 uh, That's not uh, small stuff. So money is interested in finding something that it believes is cheap, uh, a heretofore winner. Tesla having gone up a lot and NVIDIA that's dipped to the point where it should be bought. And I don't think uh, that's right to do here. It will be right to do at some point, but not yet. We'll talk about NVIDIA. If we could pull up an S&P chart, because it is sort of mapping out pretty correctly. We, you know, we traded originally, we traded up to that 4350 level. We did that in June. That was the August high from last year. We blew through it. We did a back and fill pretty quickly in the month of June. Then we were off to the races. This last move lower took us right back down to that past resistance. Past resistance in the form of last August becomes support, and we have bounced. Question is, and I think what Carter is saying, I'm not putting words in his mouth, you know, how long will this bounce last? You know, I think the bounce is going to be somewhat short-lived. Uh, I do think we're going to sort of get through that 4350 level, and then it's anybody's guess. The obvious level would be the moving average, which is probably coming around 4250 or thereabouts with time decay. I think we go lower from that. But in terms of what the market's doing over the last couple of weeks, I think it makes a lot of sense, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, it's funny, uh, like when you think about that, um, that that moving average down there at, at the 150 Carter, you know, it is that kind of breakout level, that consolidation level, we were talking about it, all, uh, you know, for it felt like all of April and May. And when you think about just the, the fact that we're bookending this a little bit with Nvidia's earnings that are coming out tomorrow after the close, that was really the catalyst to break out the market, the S&P and the NASDAQ of that fairly tight range. Um, um, and so it'd be very interesting to see if we go back to those levels here, finding support if, uh, you know, the numbers, the guidance are just not um, good enough here. Carter, walk us through. You had, you had a lot of great charts in the S&P 500. You gave us some of the data here, and maybe your charts can help us think about where we might find some support. Sure. So uh, they're all identical and uh, try to do that for a reason. So there's no changing of timeframes. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, of course, is unfilled gaps 
holding aside the two back-to-back in November of 2022. That's when COVID vaccine was announced and that kicked off really uh, the run-up um, of the past 18 months. But those immediate gaps below from this year, just back to March, are the ones that are in play. But let's look at a couple charts and, and go through it. So a chart with nothing on it. Next chart, what we know is there's your 150-day. Next chart, it brings in where the unfilled gaps are. Of course, we did gap down on August 2nd, leaving an unfilled gap above. You can see the the, the red uh, uh, dotted line and uh, horizontal line. But those below, let's put uh, that all together with the 150-day. I think at least we get to that um, immediate gap below. That's about 4% from here where the 150-day is. But also we have to keep in mind the, 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 um, the channel in which we've been ascending. So... Uh, if you look at that, those are parallel lines. We hit our head to the penny at the top. That's that outside reversal day on the 27th of July. And we've been going straight down since. And so if we add the gaps into here, uh, do we breach the channel? That's the, that's the big issue because breaching the channel to the downside will sort of definitively mark the rally of 2023 as a fake. Right, so we need to hold the channel in order to make the rally real. Now, the equal weighted S and P would say the rally was never real, right? Because the equal weighted is up as uh, up three percent for the year versus you know Nasdaq 100 up 40. So we shall see. But I think a minimum we get to the lower band of the channel, and that's another uh, sort of five seven percent from here. Guy, what are we doing down there? You buyer of that? Is it taking out a lot of the so, um, floss here? You know, Look, you know what I think. I think we definitely take out the channel without I'm just reading some of the comments. So I apologize. I think we take out the channel. And, and, you know, I think it's going to come on the back of some unforeseen situation. Again, you know, my view is either going to be Japan blowing up, China doing something or something we're not taking in consideration when some entity or some group of entities blowing up on the back of this uh, bond move. I think any of those three things could happen. And I think one of the three things happening is probably a 75% likelihood. So you add all those things together, and I think Carter would agree with this. The risk-reward to the upside, I think, is really mitigated at this point. Now, if NVIDIA, which, again, we will talk about, comes out and blows the doors off and people get excited again, you know, maybe that'll give some short-term support to the NASDAQ and subsequently the S&P. Obviously, there's a chance of that happening. I, you know, I'm not planning on it, but stranger things have happened. But if you were to get something in line out of NVIDIA where the market clearly was expecting more and that stock were to go down 15 or 20 percent, which has happened in the past, then we're going to start talking about this upward trend line that, again, probably comes in right around that 4250 level. And then we're going to start to make our bets from there because things could deteriorate along the way. Yeah, well, I'll just tell you, if you just look at the retail news that we've had um, just today alone, um, you know, it doesn't paint a great picture for the U.S. consumer at the moment here. And again, Guy, one of your narratives has been that we're going to see a reacceleration re in some of these inflationary readings, mm -hmm. um, which are going to continue to put pressure on, you know, households, uh, debt levels, delinquencies are starting to pick up a little bit. That was a comment we heard out of Macy's. I thought that was really interesting. So look at the XRT today. It's having, um, this is a tweet from a guy, uh, my Zaccardi, you have Dick's down 24%. You have Macy's down 10%. XRT is having one of its worst days um, since late May here. And just look at, like, like Carter, you know, look at this Dick's. I mean, this was yeah, like, bad. 
this was this was on the this was on the cusp of of making a new 52 week high just just yesterday right and here you are down you know lose a quarter of your value like that look at a macy's falling off the bottom yeah. right if you look at um you know a target which had that relief rally last week after its earnings making new 52 week and multi year lows give us a sense of what you're thinking here with retail stocks well, the first sense is t- on on Friday, uh, Mike Co and I did, among other things, ticks for the breakout. So um, sometimes they don't do what you think they're going to do. The point is that when you are at an inflection point, you try to identify if it um, is indeed that or is it just a boring moment. Then you got to get the direction right. This is a disaster. But to your point, um, this was one of the, quote, cheaper names, uh, one could have argued, and uh, it just shows uh, this is not um, for the faint of heart. Uh, it is speculating, and, and that's what risk assets are. And so how can, more importantly, how can instead of breaking out, can it break down? That happens, but how can it break down? That mantra said differently. How can a stock where the technicals look good and the sell side has a price target that's 40% higher Mm-hmm. And then it pulls a stunt like this. It's just because sometimes it doesn't do what everyone thinks or many think it's going to do. Um, a disaster. And and then this gets to one of the great adages of markets. First loss, best loss. The temptation here would be to buy it, right? My God, it's down so much. There's no way. It'll... Just don't do that. There'll be time yeah. enough to figure out whether it's going to bounce. And if it bounces and you miss it, okay, so what? But, you know, uh, a lot of times they go a lot lower. You know, it's interesting, Dan, you mentioned Target. And last week on Fast Money, actually, Melissa asked you a question and you said ahead of earnings that the pair trader being long Target, uh, short Walmart was going to work out. And that's exactly what happened. But what's interesting, and this is why I think trading, and when we talk about trading, it's important to sort of delineate the difference between trading and investing. That trade worked, probably worked for a couple days-ish in terms of the bounce that we saw in Target. But nothing really changed. You just used the term relief rally. That's exactly what it was. And I guess it was good enough where, you know, the market rewarded them in the short term or short somewhat capitulated. But the the pitfalls and the problems the target is facing, if you just listen to what they said, they didn't go away at all. They got the inventories in order, but the quarter and the guidance was not particularly good. And here we are again, making multi-year lows. I think it's just interesting to point out you know, how you can, you know, directionally, how things could be headed in one direction, but along the way, they're trading opportunities. I think you did a good job talking about that last week. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we talk about sentiment a lot, you know, you just like, like, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, what, what happens in NVIDIA, they could put up a big quarter, a big guide and the stock could go lower. And and if you're not like staring at your fact set machine all day long, like we do, right? Like you, you're going to like, what, what gives here? And I'll just make one point, you know, Carter, you, Mike Co, and I did options. I did options action with you guys for 10 years. You've since been doing it since I stopped at the end of uh, 2019, you know, last few years, it's just a really hard thing to go there on a Friday night at 5.30, you know, look at a few charts, have a few thesis on a fundamental view into an event that we know can be really uh, volatile. But I, I think what's interesting about that show, and I really enjoyed doing it for so long, and you guys are just so good, you guys are a great pair, is that you are defining your risk. That's the whole nature of the show. You know, like Mike comes up with a trade structure that's not risking 25% of the value. If you were long that stock, and let's just say you were long 10 grand, 
you know, worth of it today, you know, like yesterday on the close, you're long, you're, you know, you're, you're down 2,500 bucks, right? Like that's, that's, a, that's a big loss. You know, that, that's, right. mm -hmm. so I guess my point is that's not the way it works in options. It's about sizing. It's about risk management and the like here. So um, I appreciate that. You know, we all get them wrong, but the way you manage that risk is most importantly. And I think your comment about first loss, best loss also makes a lot of sense. All right, Carter, yesterday, I don't know if you got to it yet, but you know, we do a Monday on the tape. Uh, we do it with Liz Young. That's EY from SoFi. Guy was asked if we are to get that 10% plus ish, you know what I mean? Peak to trough decline, let's say in the S&P 500, what's an area that he wants to pick at? And he said energy. Uh, that was one of his uh, areas that he thinks that you're going to see the XLE get back on its horse. We know that he's been pounding the table in the OIH. That's your services you are looking at energy uh this week on the on the worth charting here talk to us about what you're seeing technically and guy would be awesome after that if you could just give us some color on your kind of fundamental take uh, on these large integrated energy stocks um yeah so we put out a note last night that was a look back or a reiteration what it was was, was titled sticking with energy and it was just um looking at the monday uh, july 10th note uh, versus um august Monday, the 21st, which was put out uh, at the beginning of the week. And, um, you know, energy has done well. So the question is, and that's always the hard thing when you do, as opposed to a DEX, when you do have a, a winner, do you stick with it uh, or do you let it, let it ride? And that's a hard thing here. I mean, you see on the table since the note was put out, I mean, energy not only is the best performing sector by a, a double the nearest uh, healthcare, but also a market that's unchanged for a sector to go up 800 and 30 basis points is a lot. So the question is, do you take it? But the point of this morning's note was we think you stick with it. And um, the, the charts, so we can look at them here. They're pretty straightforward. They're four XLE. That's, of course, the spider ETF that mirrors the S&P 500 energy sector. Um, but you'll see they're identical and the lines draw themselves. So first one, second one, well-defined lines. Third one, you can see how precise these arrows are. I mean, and this this is annoying. Look, this was very annoying to me when I was starting as a securities analyst and I was responsible for a handful of uh, specialty steel companies. Um, uh, and then it's all, take, let's have a little sidebar for a second. I'll just, if we have a second, do you know that when you start out, they give you the losers that no one wants. So you don't get US steel or Bethlehem steel or inland steel. You get these things like Carpenter Technologies. I covered steel companies, right? Carpenter and Allegheny. They were doing specialty steel and, uh, you know, stainless steel. What the hell is this stuff? No one wants it. Newcore at the time was nothing. I covered that. And then for instance, I had specialty finance. They're not going to give you a big bank. So I had these weird oddball things like H&R Block and beneficial and household finance. Like what is H&R Block? Is it a bank? Not really, but it lends money. And beneficial is like a loan shark. But the point is, um, you know, it was annoying to me when having studied these things fundamentally, when someone showed me some of these charts and I was like, wait a minute, that's the entire S&P 500 energy sector. And it just adheres to these lines. And it does. Um, it's remarkable. Uh, and you can see it on the charts. So um, I, I think what we have here is is a breakout. If we toggle between the last two, um, does it stop there, that down arrow, or does it break out? So if we toggle back and forth, back and forth, that green arrow is a judgment. I think we're going to bust out here. Um, and, it, and it's worth noting that um, when we were at the up with the down, we were the just six, seven weeks ago, right, uh, in, in early July, the street was seeing 
Energy is going to have the worst quarter of all sectors. Energy is where you not don't want to be. Energy oil is going to go to 60, 50, 40 a barrel. We're going into recession. Now all of a sudden everybody loves it. I think you just stick with it. I'm with Carter on that. And you know, so this is a pennant formation, and people could say, well, let the chart decide for you. We can wait for that pennant to break one way or another. I I would accept that as well. But I'll say this in terms of the XLE, 40% of the XLE is Exxon and Chevron. I think Exxon is 22%, Chevron is 18% as it breaks down. So I don't know if we can quickly pull up an Exxon chart. Stock's trading 108 and a half. Basically been going sideways for quite some time. We made that all-time high a month or so ago. We've been trading sideways ever since. To me, this is just sort of where putting in this basing formation until the next leg higher. So if you're, by definition, if you're bullish the XLE, which I am, ExxonMobil, if you're looking for an individual stock, Dan, is a way to play it to the upside. Yeah, that's a good-looking base there, too, kind of holding that moving average there. Carter's 150. So um, I, I kind of agree with you on this one. I, I, you know, and, and I get it. The, the, the course in which this thing goes is likely the course in which the XLE. But, um, you know, I'm probably in that camp where I wait a little bit on the XLE. But I like what you guys um, are throwing down here. All right, last thing before we get out of here, um, Carter, because we're not going to see you tomorrow. We'd love to get your take on NVIDIA. And, and you'll love this because I know you love the anecdotal stuff. I got this email in my inbox, the information, I love this publication. It's a tech publication and they do really, really good work. But it was really funny here because, you know, th this was the headline. This was the headline in my inbox today. NVIDIA's upcoming blowout. It is predetermined. It's going to be a blowout. And then this from the Wall Street Journal. Okay, this was in my inbox this morning, Carter. Is NVIDIA the new Tesla? OK, so like when you start getting these sorts of headlines, OK, we've seen sell side analysts tripping over each other to raise their price targets, raise some estimates. We know the buy side has been raising their whisper numbers for this thing. I think a, a, an analyst put an eight hundred dollar price target on this. I think the average price targets, maybe five and a quarter or something like that. People are getting a little geeked up. We're just going to throw this one year chart up. You know, you, you know what it looks like. We had that massive gap in late May. We've had this consolidation. I know that you've been on the bullish side of this thing. We had a new brief new all-time high this morning. We we reversed and, and, and we're down maybe four or five percent from those levels. What's your what's your thought into the print? And this is a dicey one. We talked about it yesterday. The implied move in the options market, 10% in either direction. That's a hundred billion dollars that the options market say this could move. That doesn't mean it's going to move that way. So, Carter, what's your technical take on this one? Yeah, I mean, I it's it's funny. I'm I'm gonna be on fast this evening to talk about just this one subject. And I can tell you what I'm going to say. I don't know. Um, yeah. It is a coin toss. We know that it gapped up on February 23rd. And then 13 weeks later, May 25, it gapped up. And here we are 13 weeks later, uh, August uh, 23rd coming up. And does it gap again? Is it an up gap? Or uh, is it a down gap? And it is simple as that because implied move is what it is. It's not going to be. So the irony of all would be that it doesn't move a lot, right? That's highly unlikely. But that so and there are a lot of people betting against volatility that maybe that's the thing to do. Um, but there is no uh, technique I know other than uh, to call it what it is, which is a coin toss. Now, if one said no, the relative strength is good, better than the market. The price volume correlation is bullish. And the stock has to be given the benefit of the doubt on the long side. That would be a perfectly valid statement. Um, my hunch is to just, it's just don't, just don't play. I mean, right? Sometimes it's better to be over at the bar uh, having a drink and, and step away from the table. Uh, I would not play. 
What's fascinating, I mean, today's reversal, Dan, as you mentioned, we've already traded one day's normal volume. It's 130. So I guess there's a chance we get close to two days normal or twice normal volume. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's going to be significant. The reversal, you clearly can't um, discount it at all. You don't see reversals like this all the time. But to Carter's point, I mean, could we be talking about this on Thursday's market call as a $525 stock with another gap to the upside? Absolutely could happen. Stranger things, right? But, you know, I think that would give you an opportunity to try again for the downside move. Again, I still favor the downside. I still think we're going to create and fill that gap or maybe even create an island reversal. But it remains to be seen. And, you know, with many people, excuse me, betting against it, stranger things have happened to the upside. No doubt. I think you just have an episode title, Stranger Things Guy, Adami. All right, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. We really appreciate the work that you do over there and coming on Market Call and sharing it with our viewers here. Uh, Guy Adami, this was fun, man. We did it. We always have fun. I apologize for the drill. There's a lot going on here. But that's it for today's Market Call. Tomorrow is going to be fun. Thursday, maybe even more fun. Carter Braxton Worth will be on Fast Money tonight, not wearing his Bill DeBong shirt, although... <laughs> If he did, I think that would be fantastic. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. We will see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock Eastern time. All right. Thanks, everyone.